They say you're from New Jersey if your favorite place to eat is not a restaurant but a diner. Can I get a witness? They say you're from New Jersey if you leave the state and you're sitting at a fuel station waiting for someone to come and pump your gas. Anybody been there before? And they say you're from New Jersey if you don't go to the beach, but rather you go down to the shore. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We don't go to the beach in New Jersey. We go down to the shore. Now, when we say shore points, we're not talking about Long Beach Island, Atlantic City. We're not talking about Ocean City. We're not talking about Cape May. We're not talking about Wildwood. Watch the tram car, please. These are some of our favorite shore points. We're going to be looking at shore points that are found in the Word of God. Amen? And over the next nine weeks, we're going to be looking at events, moments, stories in the Word of God that occurred in, on, or around the beach, the shore, or the waters. And you're going to discover that some of the greatest lessons of faith, trust, and obedience happened in or around the water. And so we're going to look at Peter when he walked on water. We're going to talk about Noah and the ark. We're going to talk about Jonah and the whale. We're going to talk about the storm at sea in the Gospels. We're going to talk about the breakfast on the beach in John 21. If you love me, feed my sheep. We're going to talk about the shipwreck in Acts. But today we're going to look at our first shore point. And today we're going to look at the story of the Red Sea crossing. Amen? The, par- the parting and the crossing of the Red Sea. Now, I don't know about you, but if I could go back to any moment in the Old Testament, this is where I would go. Amen? What a powerful, powerful story. Many movies have been made after this story, and they all fall short. It's a powerful story of fear. It's a story of faith. It's a story of grace. It's a story of salvation. And I believe that next to creation, next to creation, it's the greatest act of the power of God in the Old Testament. I love the story when the sun stood still. I love the story when the axe head floated. I I love the story of of the walls of Jericho as they marched around the walls and the walls came down. I even love the story of the plagues that, that come upon Egypt. But I believe next to creation, this is the greatest demonstration of the power of God in the Old Testament. So you have to understand that what the resurrection of Jesus Christ was to the authors and the writers in the New Testament that the crossing of the Red Sea was to the authors in the Old Testament. When the New Testament writers wanted to talk about the power of God, they would often go back to the resurrection. In the Old Testament, when they wanted to talk about the power of God, they would often refer and go back to this story. And they're both astonishing miracles of redemption from the hand of God. Now, you may not know this, but this is not the only times that the waters will part in the Old Testament. The Red Sea will part one time. The Jordan River will part on three occasions. But the Red Sea is the most powerful. And it was during the parting of the Red Sea that two million people will cross on dry ground 
and that God would swallow up the enemy. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at this powerful story. We're going to work through the story. And then at the end of the message, I'm going to give you some of the lessons. Lessons learned from this shore point. Lessons learned from this speech. You might be here saying, well, Pastor Joe, that's the Old Testament. And I don't know if the, the Old Testament is applicable to my life where I'm at. Well, let me, let me tell you what Paul says. It's on the screen. It's, it's Romans chapter 15. It says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And so my prayer is today that you'll be encouraged. Amen. And that today you will leave full of hope, full of promise. That today you will leave encouraged. Today you will leave strengthened in your faith. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter number 14. If you're there, say amen. This is a long story. We're not going to read the entire story. We're going to actually, we're going to pick up the story in verse number 19. The people have come to the Red Sea. They're boxed in. There's no way of escape. There's no place to go. They have an impossible situation ahead of them, and they turn around, and Pharaoh and his army are pursuing them. So we're going to pick up the story in verse number 19, if you there, say amen. It says, And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by strong east wind all the night and made the sea into dry land. And the waters were divided. Amen. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground. The waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea. And all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and, and all of his horsemen now it came to pass in the morning, watch, the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels. How many of you love God? Amen. So that they drove them with difficulty, and the Egyptians said, let us free from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Amen. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on the horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea. 
And the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Excuse me. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your word. For your word is truth. And your word is powerful. And I pray, God, this morning your word would go forth with boldness. That it would go forth in clarity. That, God, it would accomplish its intended purpose. God, I know in a room of this size that there are many that are here today. And if they were honest, they would say that they are facing a sea in their life. A sea of difficulty. A sea of sickness. That their life right now is full of challenges and obstacles and problems. And I pray, God, that today, that, Father, you would speak to their hearts. That, Father, even as we read in Romans, that, God, today they would be encouraged in you, the God of our salvation, that they'll leave this place full of hope. They'll leave encouraged. They'll leave empowered in you. We thank you for it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Now, Moses' life, for those of you who don't know, can be divided into three equal phases of 40 years. 40 years he spent in Egypt, where he learned to be somebody. The second 40 years he spent in the desert in Midian, where he learned to be nobody. The third 40 years of his life he spent leading the people where he learned to help everyone. And I, I know that many of you are familiar with the story, but Moses is in the wilderness. Moses is in the desert in Midian. And God's going to get Moses' attention through a bush that's burning, yet the bush is not consumed. And God's going to speak to Moses out of the bush. And, and, and God says to Moses, I have surely seen... I have heard the cries of my people. I'm aware of their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them. And God's going to call Moses to confront Pharaoh with the simple message, let my people go. This is the tail end of the second 40 years of his life. And so when God is calling Moses, Moses is 80 years old, and Moses is going to give God five excuses why he can't go to Egypt, five excuses, why he can't confront Pharaoh. And finally, at the end, he's just going to say, well, God, just please send somebody else to do the work. And yet through obedience, Moses will confront Pharaoh. You know the story of the 10 plagues that will rain down upon Egypt. And finally, Pharaoh has enough and he will release Moses and the people. And they're now on their way to a land that God promised to their forefathers. It was a land the scripture says was flowing with milk and honey. Now you need to understand it was only a short journey from Egypt to Canaan. In fact, if they went in a straight line, it would have only been around 200 miles for us a few hours in a vehicle. Back then, that would have been less than 30 days of travel if they would have, if they would have gone in a straight line. I don't know about you, but when I travel, I'm not interested in the long route. 
I'm not interested in the scenic tour, the scenic route. Some of you enjoy that. I particularly don't enjoy it. I want to go in a straight line, and I want to get to my destination. But you see, the short route, the scripture says, would have put them in the land of the Philistines. And God said in chapter 13, remember, these are not people of war. God said in chapter 13, if they face war, they might be tempted to turn back. So God decided to lead his people the long way. God also knew that his people needed lessons in the school of affliction in the school of experience before they could go into the promised land. You see, they have been living in Egypt all of their days. Every person who came out of Egypt actually was born in Egypt, and they picked up the Egyptians' habits, their style, their cultures, their smells, their looks, and as a result, God needed to teach his people a new lifestyle, and in order to do so, God needed to get their attention. And this is why I believe that God brought them to the Red Sea. Now, before we dive into the story, I want to go back because we need to establish something. It's on the screen. It's Exodus chapter 13. In verse number 18, it says, So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. Did you notice the phrase, God led the people? Who led the people? Who led the people? It was God who was leading them. And God is going to lead them into this impossible situation. They're going to come to an impasse at God's direction. You see, it wasn't accidental. It wasn't a wrong turn. It wasn't a miscalculation. They weren't given poor directions. It was God who was leading the people. Look at Exodus 13, verse 21. It says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. So God both led them... And here in verse 21, it says God went ahead of them, that God went before them. How many of you are thankful today that God goes before us? Amen. And how did God go before them? Look at the text. A cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God didn't give his people a map. God didn't give them a compass. God didn't give him a, a GPS. God didn't give his people a smartphone with Waze and Google Maps and Google Earth. God gave his people a cloud by day and God gave his people a pillar of fire by night. How powerful is this image? Think about it. You and I have never experienced anything like this before, but the Israelites in the wilderness never experienced a moment without it. It's powerful. Think about it. How many times do we wrestle with the will of God? Praying and trying to discern his will and his way and his plan for our lives. How simple for God's people. They were playing a game that we've all played as children. They were playing a simple game. It's called follow the leader. When the cloud went forward, guess what? The people went forward. 
If the cloud turned to the left, the people turned to the left. If the cloud turned to the right, the people turned to the right. If the cloud stopped, the people stopped. Clear as a bell. Nothing to decipher. Nothing to figure out. Simply follow the cloud. And with the fire at night, God chased away the wild beast and the animals. And with the fire at night, God kept his people warm. And God provided guidance day or night. All they had to do was look up, and there was God's unquestionable presence. The scripture says that God went before them. Amen. And God will lead his people to the Red Sea. God will lead his people to the Sea of Reeds. And you have to remember this was before the days of modern bridges and tunnels. This past week on Thursday, my wife and I, we, we celebrated 15 years of marriage. Amen. Bless the Lord. And the scripture says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Amen. And I found a good thing. Bless the Lord. And so we decided to take a quick overnight trip to New York City. And we left Thursday afternoon. We're on the train on our way to New York Penn Station. And my wife and I, we've been to New York, like many of you, many times. And, 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 and we're not typically like, like the tourist-looking type of folks, if you know what I'm talking about. And we're on the train. And my wife said, you know, we've never done one of those double-decker bus tours. How many of you have ever done the double-decker bus tour? Okay, so um, a lot of you have done it. So we're sitting on the train. I pull out the smartphone. I open up Groupon, and I, I find the double-decker bus tour, $32 for two people, for two tickets. And I thought, hey, that's not a bad price. So we, we, we purchased the tickets on the train, and, and we show up to where the bus is going to leave. It's 6.30 in the evening. We haven't given it a lot of thought. We just thought it might be something fun to do. It might be something different to do, thinking it might be a half-hour tour. might be a 45-minute tour. I mean, we only played $16 a person, and so we we get on the bus, and I, and I want to sit on the right side of the bus, and I'm, I'm holding on to the edge, looking down. And there's no seatbelts on these things. You know what I'm talking about? There's no seatbelts. And I thought this might be a half hour, like I said, maybe a 45-minute tour with a little bit of traffic, Jay. And the tour guide gets on and says, I want to welcome you to this evening tour. You're going to be on the bus for two hours and 45 minutes. I said to my wife, where are we going in, in three hours? <laughs> so we tour all of Manhattan. And then finally the tour guide says, now we're going to take you into Brooklyn. And I said to my wife, how are we getting into Brooklyn? We're sitting on a double-decker bus with no seatbelts. And the moment I have that thought, here we go up the Brooklyn Bridge. Now, some of you in the room I know are not comfortable going over bridges. Anybody here? You're a passenger in a vehicle. What do you do when you go over a bridge? You close your eyes and you pray until you get to the other side of the bridge. That's one. I'm okay on a bridge. Bridge doesn't bother me. But keep in mind, I'm, I'm, I'm facing forward. I'm on the right side of the double-decker bus with no seatbelts holding onto the rails looking down. And I've got to be honest, I'm a little uncomfortable. I said to my wife, are they allowed to do this? We're not wearing seatbelts. Well, everyone on the bus thought it was great. And they're taking pictures, and they've got out their tablets, and they have out their phones and their cameras, and they're taking pictures. I am holding on for dear life, and I'm just praying. 
I'm just praying we don't flip this bus over. So we go into Brooklyn, and, and finally my heart's at ease. I'm okay. I'm, I'm starting to enjoy the, the three-hour tour. And they're taking us to all the great pizza places in Brooklyn. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Brooklyn's got some of the best pizza in the world. Amen. And then it hits me. We've got to go back over the bridge to get back into Manhattan, but they're not going to take the Brooklyn Bridge over the East River. That would be too easy. We're going to take a scarier bridge in the Manhattan Bridge. And I'm holding on for dear life, and I'm just praying. I'm just praying. I did have a few thoughts. I remember looking down thinking, this is pretty cool, bridges and and tunnels. And so we, we finally get on the other side of the bridge after three hours the tour comes to the end, and I get off the bus, and I thought, i got to go talk to this driver. So I get off the bus, and I want to, you know, they've got a tip jar. I'm throwing a few dollars in the tip jar. And I said, I said, sir, you did a fantastic job. He looked at me and said, thank you so much. I said, i got to be honest. I was a little uncomfortable on the bridge. Double-decker, no seatbelt. He said, can I be honest with you? I'm uncomfortable every time I drive over the bridge. The problem is God put his people on a dead-end street. There's no bridges. There's no tunnels. There's no boats. There's no double-decker buses with no seatbelts. They are now hemmed in. They're now staring at the Red Sea. To the north is a strong enemy fortress. To the south is a blazing desert. To the west is Egypt itself. So in four ways, they are boxed in. They are literally in a geographical cul-de-sac. Now, a cul-de-sac is a great place to raise children. But when you're being chased by someone, it puts you in a very vulnerable spot. So they're boxed in by the wilderness. They've got mountains on either side. The sea of reeds is before them. The enemy is behind them. They are boxed in. There's no back door. There's no possibility of escape. There's no place to hide. They find themselves in an impossible situation. Maybe today some of you are boxed in. Maybe life has you boxed in. Maybe your finances have you boxed in. Maybe your health has you boxed in. Maybe today you find yourself in a desperate situation. Maybe you find yourself trapped with nowhere to go. Some of you are facing problems at home. Some of you are facing problems on the job. Some of you are hemmed into a situation with your finances. Some of you are hemmed into unhealthy relationships that are going nowhere. You're at a place where there seems to be no way out. But can I tell you, church, when you think you're wandering to nowhere, God has taken you somewhere. Amen. Amen. Because who's leading the people? God is leading the people. And all of a sudden they hear something in the distance. It sounds like a storm. It, it sounds like thunder that's approaching, that's coming. They look back and they see a cloud of dust sweeping across the horizon. It's not a storm. It's horses, it's chariots, and, and they're coming their way. Pharaoh is coming and there's no place to run. There's no place to hide. There's no place to go. There's no place of escape. It's going to be a massacre. Look at verse number 10. It says that they become very frightened. What an understatement. They weren't merely frightened. They were very frightened. And then look at verse number 11. 
It says, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing, bringing us out of Egypt? You have to remember that they've already gone through the ten plagues. You have to remember that the manifest presence of Almighty God is in their midst and God is leading them by a cloud by day and God is leading them by a pillar of fire by nighttime. And the children of Israel will begin to complain to Moses. They'll begin to complain to God. In fact, if you continue in the story over the next few chapters, you're going to find on 14 occasions, 14 occasions in the word of God where the entire assembly will complain against Moses and complain against the leadership. And you know what they start doing? They start looking backwards. They said, Moses, we had it pretty good in Egypt. Yeah, we know we were slaves but we had shelter and we had food to eat. Now you've brought us out in this wilderness to die. How many times do we do the same things? Problems come our way. Difficulties and challenges come our way and we feel like giving up. We feel like going back to our old way of living. We feel like going back to our old lifestyle. But can I tell you this morning, church, you're never going to overcome what's in front of you if you keep looking backwards. Amen. And we've got to stop allowing the enemy to convince us to return to the things that God has already brought us out of. Amen. You see, church, if you're going to cross the Red Sea, if you're going to experience the promised land, if you're going to experience all that God has for you, you've got to let go of the past. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press on toward those things which are ahead. And I love Moses' response. It's, it's verse number 13. It's on the screen. Moses answered the people and said, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And that's better translated. You need to keep silent. He gives the people four things. He says, do not fear. Stand still. Watch. And keep quiet. I think it's good counsel when we're facing impossible situations in life. He said, don't be afraid. Do you know how many times this phrase, do not fear, or do not be afraid, occurs in scripture? 366 times. That's one for every day of the year, including leap year. Amen? That's why Paul said, God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power of love, and of a sound mind. Moses said, you've got to stand still. You see, church, we've got to be able to stand by faith before we can walk by faith. Amen. And I like how words in the Amplified, in the Amplified, it says, take your stand, be firm, be confident, be undismayed. It means waiting on the Lord. 
which is the opposite of panic. You see, when we panic, what happens? We try to fix things. Moses tried to fix things in Egypt. He committed murder. He spent the next 40 years in the desert learning from God. And I can't tell you how many times in ministry we encounter people who get themselves in trouble simply because God's response was wait and they took matters into their own hands. Can I tell you, church, if you are a child of God, then your problems are his problems and he's much better fighting battles than we are. Amen. Our job is to stand still and our job is to trust him, to be firm, to be confident, to be undismayed. Then he said, watch and you will see the salvation of the Lord. He said, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be silent. I love God's prescription. God said, don't be afraid. Stand still. Watch him work. Keep quiet. But what's the human response in crisis? We're afraid. We're run. We fight. And we tell everybody. But God's counsel is just the opposite. Don't be afraid. Stand still. Watch him work and keep quiet. And then look at verse number 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. I love that verse. Because you have to understand in verse 15, the situation hasn't changed. Nothing has changed. There are no bridges. There are no tunnels. Nothing has changed. And God says to Moses, tell the children of Israel to go forward. I believe God is saying the same to many of us today, to many of us this morning. It's time to march forward in him. Amen. And we have so many reasons. We have so many excuses why we're not able to march forward. We say it's impossible, but church, God says all things are possible. We say I'm tired, but God says I will give you rest. We say nobody really loves me, and God says I love you. We say nobody really cares for me. God says I care for you. We say I cannot go on. God says my grace is sufficient. We say I cannot figure things out. God says I'll direct your path. We say I cannot do it. God says you can do all things. We say I'm unable. God says I I am able. We say we're not worth it. God says it'll be worth it. We say I cannot forgive myself. God says I forgive you. We say I can't afford to. And God says I will supply all of your needs. Church, can I tell you, God wants to move his people forward. God wants to move his people forward in his presence, in his power, in his promises. You see, the crossing of the Red Sea is for a purpose because on the other side, your faith is going to be stronger. On the other side, your song's going to be be a little bit louder. On the other side, your prayer time is going to be more frequent. On the other side, your worship is going to be more intimate. Your spirit's going to be more alive. God says it's time to move forward. Amen. Now look at verse 19. It says, the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. He moves the cloud from above them to behind them. You see, God's not only our savior, but God is also our protector. Amen. David said in the Psalms, he's my high tower. He's my refuge. He's my shield. He's my defense. The scripture says no weapon formed against us can 
prosper. God put a wall between his people and the enemy. It reminds me of what Isaiah said in chapter 59. It says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And the psalmist said in 138, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. Church, God moved the cloud from in front of them to behind them to protect them. Amen. And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. This is verse 21. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back. Now look at this. By a strong east wind all night and made the sea to dry land and the waters were divided. God opens a path through the sea. Amen. It took Hollywood in the Ten Commandments 18 months. Be, be, this Again, this is before the age of computers to, to recreate the scene. But what took Hollywood 18 months to figure out, God did in one second. Amen. And the scripture says the east winds blew all night. And that's critical. That's important to the story. Because if the seas would have simply parted, that the seabed would have been swampy. They wouldn't have been able to cross. But the east winds blew all night. And that dried the seabed so that they could truly walk on dry ground. And remember what the Lord said. The Lord said, when this is over, they will know that I am the Lord. And by the end of the day, can I tell you, church, not one Egyptian soldier who pursued the Hebrews had a pulse and not one Hebrew was hurt or harmed in any way. And the Bible doesn't say that the Israelites killed a single man because they didn't. It didn't say that they defended themselves because they didn't have to defend themselves. It doesn't say that they fought because they didn't have to fight. They simply waited. And they trusted in God and they walked through and they turned and they watched God work. Amen. Bless the Lord. Will, if you would just come at this time. I want to give you the lessons from this story. Amen. How many of you are being blessed today? <clears throat> I want to give you the lessons learned at this short point. I want you to write them down. If you have a notebook. If you have a phone, tablet, computer, whatever you have, I want you to write them down. You see, I believe if you want to hear from God, you need the scriptures. Amen. But if you want to remember what God says, you need a journal. And so I want you to write this down. I want to give you the lessons learned at the first short point. Amen. Here's lesson number one. You ready for this? The Christian life is not lived in straight lines. You see, sometimes God takes us on an alternate route. And sometimes God will take us on the long route instead of the short route. And God will often send detours our way. But you have to understand, the detours are for our benefit. You see, the glory clouds seem to be leading the people in the wrong direction. The same happens to you and I. We have goals. We have dreams. 
We have a destination in mind. It's a place we want to go, something we want to become, something we want to achieve in this life. And sometimes we even know that God's hand is in it and God wants to get us there, but we just can't understand why it's taken so long. Church, you have to understand that God's delays are not denials. Amen? And don't be discouraged. If God has you on a detour route, God knows exactly what he's doing. Amen. And our God knows the way through the wilderness. The Christian life is not lived in straight lines. Amen. Are you ready for number two? Are you ready? Here's the second lesson we learned from the story of the Red Sea crossing. I want you to write it down. Number two, it doesn't matter who your opponent is if you already know your outcome. Amen. Did you get that this morning? It doesn't matter who your opponent is if you already know your outcome. It wouldn't have mattered if Pharaoh sent 10,000 chariots. God said, I've heard the cries of my people and I have come to deliver them. And church with God, regardless of our opponent... Regardless of the sea, regardless of the mountain in front of us, regardless of the sickness, regardless of the situation, with God, victory is our outcome. Amen. Because the scripture is clear. If God is for us, who can be against us? So it doesn't matter who your opponent is if you already know the outcome. Bless God. Amen. That's why Paul said absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus, not death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, church, you have to understand, as Christians, we're in a war, but in the end, we win. In the end, we win. Amen. I don't know about you, but I've read the end of the book a few times. And in the end, we win. Amen. And we may occasionally get wounded in the conflict. We may occasionally get knocked down. It may appear if the enemy is winning or has the upper hand. But the scripture says that we are more than conquerors. Not just a conqueror, but we are more than a conqueror. To be more than a conqueror means we not only achieve the victory, but we are to achieve overwhelming victory. Amen. Look at verse 30. It says, the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore, 1,800 of them, 300 chariots, or 600 chariots, three men per chariot, 1,800 dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Church, that's not just victory, but that's overwhelming victory. Amen. So it doesn't matter who your opponent is if you already know your outcome. Amen. Look at Isaiah chapter 8. It says, devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Amen. You ready for number three? Are you ready for number three? Put your seatbelts on, okay? Number three, praise is contagious, so is complaining. 
Write it down. Praise is contagious. So is complaining. It didn't take long before the entire group of two million began to complain. You see, you have to remember, they've just gone through the plagues. And God's been leading them by a cloud and God's been leading them by a fire. The manifest presence of Almighty God was in their midst. And yet they're already forgetting what he's already done. And they're forgetting his promises. And they're forgetting what he's going to do in the future. And we can do the same thing in life. We can become so easily locked into our situation that we actually forget what God has already done for us, what God has promised to do in our lives, and what God is going to do for us. And it's so easy to begin to complain about life and our job and our, and our boss and, and our finances and our children and our spouse. But church, instead of being people who complain, We need to be people who praise God. Amen. I believe one of the greatest mistakes we make in the church from the pulpit, we'll stand before the congregation, we'll stand before the church, and we'll say, forget what you're going through today. And for the next few moments, let's just worship God. Well, can I tell you, church, that's easier said than done. Because you don't know what I'm going through. And I don't know what you're going through. What we should say is despite your situation, despite the sea that is before you, with everything going on, God wants to know that we can lift our hands in worship and praise to him. Amen. God's people will get around to singing. They're going to get around to praising, but they're going to do it on the the other side. And I, I often say they have the right song. They just sung it on the wrong side. Amen. Praise is contagious. So is complaining. So here's the question. What are you carrying today? What are you carrying today? Can I give you the fourth lesson? Lesson number four. I want you to write it down. How many of you are writing this down? Lesson number four. When hemmed in on all sides, the only place to look is up. Amen. There's only one place to look, and that's up. When you're hemmed in, when you're boxed in, when there's no escape, when there's no escape before you and there's no escape behind you, There's no way out to the left. There's no way out to the right. There's only one place to look, and that's up. Remember the first time the Israelites called upon the Lord, they were hemmed in on all sides. And this may be why you're under so much pressure today to bring you to the end of yourself so that you will look unto him. There are some of you here today, and you're focusing all of your attention on your problem, your situation, and you're looking at the sea. And you're looking at the army that is approaching. You are literally hemmed in on all sides. And you're focused on the situation. God wants you to look up. And God wants you to look at him. Remember, Peter was able to walk on water when he kept his eyes firmly on Christ. As soon as he took his eyes off Christ, what happened? He began to sink. But church, when you come to the sea, look up. Look up. Focus on his power. Focus on his majesty. Focus on his glory. Focus 
on his holiness. Keep him always in your sight. The scripture says we're to look unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Amen. Let me give you the, the fifth and final lesson this morning. The last lesson we learn at our first sure point in this series. You ready for this? I think it's the most important of all the lessons. I want you to write it down. Here's number five. God's presence in the trial is better than exemption from the trial. Amen. God's presence in the trial is better than exemption from the trial. When God called Moses, Moses' first excuse, he said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I? And I love what what God said. It's Exodus 3 and verse 11. God said, I will be with you. I'm going to be with you, Moses. And it's not going to be easy, but I'm going to be with you. And Pharaoh's going to harden his heart, but I'm going to be with you. And there's going to be tests and trials and difficulties, but I will be with you. And the people are going to complain and they're going to challenge you, but I will be with you. Church, what gives us the courage and what gives us the confidence when we're facing the sea is knowing that God's presence is with us. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'd rather have the presence of God with me in a storm than a life of ease without God's spirit. You can fast forward in the story. Moses is on Sinai. And God is speaking to Moses and, 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 and God is frustrated with the people. And God goes to, God goes to Moses and he says, Moses, leave from this place. I'm going to send you to, to, the, to the promised land that, that I promised the forefathers. You take the people and go into the promised land, but I'm not going to go with you, Moses. You'll have everything you want, but I'm not going to go with you. And I love the response of Moses. Moses said, God, if your spirit doesn't go with us, don't take us from this place. You see, God's presence in the trial is better than exemption from the trial. I think of the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they refused to bow down to the, to the idol. They chose to stand with God, to stand for God, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. And the king, the king grabbed one of his, his officers. He said, how many people did we throw into the fire? And he said, oh, king, we put three people into the fire. And the king said, I look and I see four people, and the fourth person looks like the son of God. Church, can I tell you, God's presence is the trial is better than exemption from the trial. Amen. I'm reminded this morning of Elisha's servant in 2 Kings chapter number 6. Elisha's servant, he's new on the job. He's only been doing this for just a matter of days. He wakes up in the morning. He goes outside and he sees there's an entire army that's surrounding the hillside and the army is coming for Elisha. The army is coming for the man of God and, and, and for his servant. And he goes and he wakes up Elisha and he says, Elisha, there's an army that's coming for us. And Elisha isn't moved. Elisha isn't bothered. He said, do you see what I see? He said, those who are with us are greater than those who are against us. And he prayed that the servant's eyes would be open. And the servant's eyes were open. And he looked on the hillside. And there were chariots of fire that were surrounding the man of God and his servant. Church, can I tell you, God's presence in the trial is better than exemption from the trial. Amen. 
See, we'll do anything to avoid the trial. We'll do anything to avoid the sea. But we have to understand that coming to the Red Sea is just as much a part of his plan as crossing the sea. Amen. And it may be that the Lord is breaking a habit that's born in Egypt. It has no business in the promised land. It has no business in Canaan. And church, can I tell you that on your way to the sea, the tears are going to flow as God works in his time. But in the burning of those tears, God is going to become significant. God is going to become real. And we're going to realize at last that the crisis, that the Red Sea in God's hand is only a highway to the promised land. Amen. I'm going to invite the the worship team, if they would come at this time. I'd like every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed. I know in a room of this size, there are some, if not many, who are here, who right now you're boxed in. You're hemmed in. And there are problems, trials, difficulties, challenges. There's sickness right now in your life. And if that's you this morning, I just want to encourage you, right where you are, to begin to look up. Look unto Jesus, the author, the perfecter, of our faith and where you are just begin to praise the Lord say Pastor Joe that's in me this morning God is speaking to me it's exactly where I am I'm hemmed in I'm boxed in I find myself in an impossible situation if God doesn't intervene if God doesn't move I don't know how I'm going to make it that's you this morning all over this place would you just slip up your hand come on put it up nice and high many many hands have gone up this morning if you're here today you can put them down if you're here today say pastor joe i've been hemmed in before and i've come to the scene god has brought me through if that's you i want you to praise god if you find yourself at the sea i want you to praise god I was thinking how we're going to end this service and what song we could sing. And the only song that came to my heart, remember when, when God spoke to Moses, Moses said, who shall I say is sending me? And God said, Tom, I am that I am. And so this morning we're going to close by singing the great I am. And God is able. And the worship team is going to lead us in this song, the great I am. And I'm just going to invite you this morning, if you find yourself hemmed in, if you find yourself boxed in, and you need someone to pray for. You need to be encouraged in the Lord. I'm going to invite you to take a step of faith and you can come to this front and we're going to pray for you. So let's all just begin to stand to our feet. And before they begin to lead us, can we all just begin to praise the Lord? Can we lift our hands? God is worthy, amen. God is worthy. Come on, church. Despite what you're going through, despite what you're experiencing, God wants to know that you can worship him. Come on, lift your hands, lift your heart, lift your faith. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Worship the Lord in this morning. Hallelujah, God, we give you praise. We worship you.